Welcome back to the Filmographies podcast. I'm very happy to be here today with Brad Bischoff, a filmmaker based in California, uh, originally from Chicago suburbs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Brad, I'd love uh, for us. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been great to kind of be connected through the years and happy to be here. Great. Well, yeah, I'd love to start off first. Uh, you, you start off with a lot of really great short films. Uh, I'd love to know how you got started in film, how you kind of everything leading up to that first short. What were some of the things you were watching, reading, looking at that were making you start to want to be a filmmaker and what kind of led you to make that first dive in? Yeah, well, uh, well when I was in middle school, uh, I remember my dad had just gotten the family high eight video camera, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it, it just started out with playing. So, I mean, you know, I was big into like sports and hockey and rollerblading. Um, and, and then after after I'd get home, I would end up picking up the camera and just playing with it and putting on night vision and running through the house and just kind of always exploring with it. Um, and this, and then right around that time, like Spike Jones was like making a lot of skateboarding videos. And I thought, oh man, like I should start documenting, I rollerbladed. So I was like, I should start documenting my rollerblading. And, um, very quickly it turned in from just, you know, hitting record and trying to like capture tricks to trying to make a story out of, uh, the skate video, you know, and like trying to like figure out, okay, I'm going to do this handrail and then what's it going to lead into next. And, uh, without even thinking about it, it kind of turned into like, you know, editing in my mind and, and, you know, I didn't even know what filmmaking was. We were, and this is when we would take like tape to tape on the VHS too, and like try to do stuff analog, uh, and just experimenting. Um, and then I would, and then through high school, there was like a media arts class that similarly had a, like a mini DV camera. And so I would just, I would be the one guy in class who was just literally renting it out every weekend and uh, running around town. Anybody I knew who worked in a restaurant, I would like, hey, can I come in there and film a scene? And no clue what I was doing, but just trying every genre, trying comedy, trying improv with my friends, trying a scripted drama, um, but always just having fun. And it was always just me and my friends hanging out, you know, making something while we were hanging out. Um, and then my senior year, uh, we, me and my friend Bob at the time had organized the first film festival at the school. Uh, it was funny, it was right when YouTube was releasing too, it was like 2005. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I was like, oh man, like everybody's making fun things. Like, let's, let's see what everybody at our school's doing. And so we hosted a film festival um, and through all of high school, I had done art and painting and was also into music. And then I was graduating and starting to realize like, oh, okay, like, what am I going to do now? And uh, I had fallen so in love with film. I had a scholarship to go to a painting school in Milwaukee. And at the last minute decided to apply to Columbia College Chicago uh, for, for film. And I got a scholarship there and decided at that moment to jump from painting to film because uh, I just, I saw film as everything. It was, you know, cinematography was painting. There's music that carries the scene. I was big into theater, it's acting. And so still not even really knowing where it was leading. I just wanted to keep diving into film because to me it was, it was all of those things in one. Um, and so, yeah, that kicked me off at uh, Columbia um, where, I where I was there for four years and just falling more in love with it each year. 
And then when I graduated in 2009, I started a production company in Pilsen uh, for about five or six years. So I was able to stay and find a way to sort of make a living doing that. I was also working other jobs, didn't make that much money, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah just making short films, commercials and uh, working at steakhouses and all the whole thing. And yeah, doing that. Yeah, that's great. I love uh, the anytime someone's starting off with just doing it with your friends and grabbing the camera and uh, just capturing whatever you think of that day. Because uh, I think it kind of taps into something that's easy to lose later of like that inspiration, that instinct of just, this is funny, this is cool, like, let's just do this and figure out how to make it look as best as possible. Uh, you know, there's, there's this one moment that like, I, that improvisational nature, yeah, is it, is such an attractive quality. But there was this one moment when I was in film school, it was, I consider him my, my mentor to this day. He was my first film professor. I'm sure I'll talk about him again later, but uh, his name is Miguel Silvera. And he had a guest come in who was his cinematographer because he had done features and shorts. And he used this DP Cuba and he came in and it was my, we would always take turns directing with the class and it was my day to direct. And we were in this very small kind of like auditorium. It was basically a classroom. And we were supposed to do like an interrogation scene. Um, and, you know, you're given a script and you just have to start kind of putting the scene together. You have like an hour. Um, and the, I credit this moment to really the first time I thought about composition and walking into a space and seeing what the space offers. Because I had looked at this table and I was like, okay, here's where the interrogation is happening. And, you know, cameras over this shoulder and, I remember Kuba, who's, you know, 10, 12, 15 years older than me, just being like, you know, like before you decide where the camera is, like, let's look at this space because there's a missed opportunity of like a story we could be telling with our shot. And it may be if we put the camera over here, he was so kind about it that, okay, all of a sudden you have all of this depth and what is the background saying? What, what are you saying with your shot? And we, at the time, one of the reasons I chose Columbia is because you could shoot on film. And so even though I had like, you know, done the high eight, the mini DV, and I was so used to just improving, capturing stuff. And that was the first time where I was like, wow, okay, like I have a hundred feet. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, I really need to think about what it is I'm doing. And then those first couple of short films I did that we'll get into was on film and, and it really impacted the rest of my, I mean, obviously to this day, filmmaking, philosophical, intentional and like having a, a point of view with your shot. Yeah, no, that's a huge moment for sure. Uh, it's something I feel like even kind of in more mainstream American cinema, you don't even see that much. It's not used very effectively. Uh, totally. But depth is a really huge thing. Uh, and also just, yeah, having those professors who aren't aren't framing it at that moment as like, you're wrong. Uh, you need to put it somewhere else, but like, why don't you try? Like, and giving yeah. you those things to start thinking about. Very nurturing, you know, and like really expanded my mind. Like it, yeah. it was, yeah, one of the most important days I had there. Yeah, that's so cool, and uh, yeah, it's so great. You're still uh, in communication with them. Um, and dude, was there like ever a film or a filmmaker or any kind of art that re you feel lit the spark for you uh, in the sense of, oh, I could do this, or this is really inspiring. I want to try to well, do something similar. It's funny, like some of the films that were sparks for me are like very big Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. Like 
know, like Shawshank Redemption, you know, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and the Fugitive. Like for some reason, I was attracted to these movies about like innocent men like yeah. fighting the <laughs> fighting the world. But that just drew me in because it was an engrossing story. But then once mm-hmm. I started really getting into film. I, uh, there was still, I, I think they're out of business now, but Hollywood video is much like a blockbuster. I would go there when I was a junior or a senior and they had these bargain bin, uh, you know, DVDs four for 20. And so every time I worked at Panera bread and like Overweiss dairy and I'd get my paycheck and I'd go there and I would just pick four, four movies. Um, and I was always picking things that I, I had no idea. And that's how I found before sunrise with, you know, by Richard Linklater and like that blew my mind. I'd never seen a movie like that where it's just people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Igby Goes Down. I can't remember who directed that, but the Kieran Culkin film that was great. I'd never seen a story like that. My brother introduced me to Buffalo 66, uh, Darren Aronofsky's Pie. Um, and so I started like, you know, expand, like I, I got into anime. I watched Akira and just trying to like soak in anything from different you know, genres and different, uh, cultures. And yeah, um, Buffalo 66 was like a big one for me. Um, and, and French film, yeah, 400 blows and, you know, just, just, I, and then influenced by that, I got into Noah Bombach with Squid and the Whale. Um, and it just sort of kept, kept going, you know, like there's, there's so many, uh, oh, I should mention this one, this one film, I went to music box, um, and it was a documentary that had just come out called Tarnation by Jonathan Coet. Mm-hmm. And that that film was a huge uh, like mind bender for me. This guy like recorded his whole life. I don't know if you'd seen it, but mm-hmm. it's uh, one I highly recommend um, and kind of got me to start looking at uh, just more experimentation with the camera. I mean, he edited the whole thing on iMovie, you know, and like. I think it cost him 500 bucks to make and, and it was just a really good story, you know, and it was unlike anything that you, that you see. So yeah, th- those are some of the earlier ones. Oh, and there was a Chicago one called street thief that like was a, was a big one for me too. And I ended up seeking that guy out. Malik Bader was the, the, he acted it and, uh, and directed it. Um, but that, that was like a, another one that kind of, bent genres because it's like is it a documentary is it real and i really i really liked stuff like that at the time yeah no that uh tarnation's really interesting you mentioned that that's one of those that as soon as you said that i go oh yeah that's like a key to a lot of your filmography uh a lot of like the kind of the themes you kind of see throughout and some of the things you're really interested in and like the bending of genres with the other films uh and yeah like looking at your own life and experiences for these stories uh so yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I feel like it is. Uh, I yeah hear a lot of similarities to how I came up to of like it's like a suburban kind of thing. Or you're starting off with the bigger movies you're aware of, and then you find that place, whether it's Hollywood Video or Blockbuster or anything like that. That you're just like, oh, and then there's these other things. Uh, do you know? Was there anything in particular that would like lead you to? Were you just totally picking those movies out at random, or is there something that you would see that would draw you to it, like actors that you recognized or uh, yeah. something you heard of? especially the DVD bins, it mm-hmm. would be, it would be a mix of like, I mean, I remember, I still remember seeing before sunrise and it was such a beautiful like DVD cover, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love Ethan Hawke. And I was just like, you know, what is this? And that, that was very easy to buy. That's actually where I found this other one. Love me if you dare. It's this French film with Marion Cotillard. Mm-hmm. And that, that film was, was huge for me. That one. Absolutely. 
um, highly romantic, like dramatic movies, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, you could almost say codependent relationships, but it's just, but it's just romantic, you know, it's like, it's crazy. It's yeah. It's very un-American, you know, like yeah. it was very different than like before sunrise, like love me if you dare was like these two people, you know, hi, hi, anyway, highly recommend that one. Um, but yeah, DVD covers, whatever drew me, if there was an actor I saw that I recognized. Um, but then, I mean, honestly, also my my older brother, Wes, he was always, always kind of showing me cool things, you know, always kind of like briefly in passing mentioning, uh, I, I, there's this other one, Melvin Goes to Dinner, which was kind of like, uh, very, it's like a, a contemporary My Dinner with Andre. Um, and I, yeah, I guess I loved seeing stuff that was, yeah, just different. And Landmark Theater in Highland Park was always the theater I would go to if I wasn't in the city near Music Box because they would be the theater that's showing like that one, you know, they'd have all the, the stuff that all the theaters are showing and then there would be one film that's like half Nelson, you know, mm-hmm. and I would see half Nelson and be like, well, why was the camera so shaky the whole time? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was everything was long lens and it was so dirty. And then, but, but then by the end, I'm like, I, I really liked that, you know, and uh, you just start to see what their influences were. And then it, it, it's like, it's a rabbit hole. It just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great resource for sure. Being able to go down and uh, getting into the inspirations. It's part of the reason like talking about this so much is like seeing uh, there's often a direct line. I feel like you can see between filmmakers who are inspired by other films and uh, even past just like, oh, that scene remind me of that or like these visuals are similar, but a thematic uh, kind of tone uh, that can carry through uh, films. Um, so so were you watching or were you making a lot of films uh, on your own in college or were you more kind of focusing on was it school projects uh, like thesis films, that kind of thing? Or were you more on the independent side already then? Well, it's I so right before I had started uh, Columbia in 2006, that summer I graduated, um, I had gotten my all my best friends together and went to uh, my uncle's house who lived in Barrington. And I asked him if I could like take over his house for like seven days. Mm-hmm. And that was my first like big production, I guess you could say, where it was seven days of shooting, you know, and it was a 20 minute short film. Um, and it was kind of like film school before film school, you know, and so I, I had done that just because I, I had, you know, it, it was like, oh man, we're going to do this thing and uh, that'll be our first short film and we'll submit to festivals and just see what happens. And <laughs> it was really fun. We played like a couple of small ones and IFC, uh, IFC channel. That was like a channel. I, I don't know if it's still a channel, but it played on that. And it was just a really like rewarding thing for us and kind of like a pat on the back that like, I was like, hey, keep going, you know? And then so by the time I got into film school in our production one class, that was my first film professor I mentioned, Miguel Silvera. Um, I remember talking to a bunch of the kids in the class. We were all kids, all the other students, I mean, and, uh, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, what I really want to make until I get to my thesis. I'm going to hold on to that idea or I'm going to, you know, and I was like, man, like, I'm crazy like this, but I'm like, what if this is it for me? What if I die tomorrow? Like I'm here, I have this film. I have, this may be the only class I ever take. Like I'm going to make whatever I consider it is to be my thesis now. And I'm going to go for it now. And I spoke about the idea in class. And then like, once I said it out loud, I knew I had to do it, you know, and that was, that was eyelids. That was my first one. 
Um, and so I, yeah, I just always wanted to take advantage of like every single opportunity. Cause then in production two was where I did wet. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't see them as school projects. I saw them as like, I'm, I have an opportunity to shoot a film on film mm -hmm. and I'm going to, you know, whoever in my class wants to work on it, great. But like, I'm going to get all of my people, my fr my friends outside of the school. And I mean, it's going to be a thing, you know? And so we used all of our resources possible for, for all of those early films. Um, and then, you know, they ended up beyond the school film festival. Like those are the ones that got into Chicago International. And we took eyelids to Cannes and we played like in the short film corner and we all took a trip to France to be there for it and like meet people and it just kept leading to like bigger things you know by yeah. taking advantage of every opportunity yeah absolutely uh yeah so diving into eyelids it, it is a really like visually impressive short I think that's why it's I think it's the earliest one you sent me that was like available on Vimeo uh yeah. available online uh and I was yeah just blown away the first time I saw it and blown away rewatching it uh how strong the visual voice uh your visual sense and visual storytelling is uh with that film what were some of the things you were uh thinking about or like trying to accomplish with uh eyelids in particular uh beyond just, like the your any any opportunity you get like you're just talking about yeah so i had uh originally it was just a poem that mm -hmm. i wrote for my girlfriend at the time it was it was a valentine's day poem um and i was in school at the time and my friends we were we had just done like a music video or you know whatever and we were trying to think about what our next project was and i just read that poem and you know I, it was funny i hadn't even considered it as a as a visual or a film i was like if anything i want to make a children's book out of it hmm. um and my friends were just like hey like like maybe you should consider that as a as a short film what do you think and I mean, I can't, I truly can't even remember how or why it might've been because I was in film school learning about some of these older French filmmakers at the time who used rear projection. Um, and so it just got my brain thinking like, well, I know the thing is going to be black and white because the film we're shooting on is black and white. Um, and then I was thinking about, oh, how cool would it be if, you know, we physically paint the film when they're dreaming. And I was just like, still experimentation really. Um, but was like, you know, I have a, a garage we can shoot, we can build a set in. I mean, we got pink foam panel to cut the shape of an eyelid um, and just put a bed sheet behind it, filmed all of that POV stuff digitally so we can have it projecting live while we're shooting. Um, and it was, it was just such a fun shoot, you know, and used my whole family. Like we, well, we casted a child, but then like I played the current version then my dad played the older version and then my grandpa played the oldest version um so that was really fun to like just experiment that way but at the end of it i really felt like that was i mean honestly before that i'd probably done like a dozen different short films music videos like we had talked about all kinds of genres improvisational stuff but that was the first i consider that my first short film because that was the one that was really a piece of me all the other ones were like me discovering and trying and, you know, like just signing up for basketball because I want to see what it's like and signing up for hockey. But like eyelids was the one that was like, yeah, this is a piece of me. This is romantic. This means something. Um, and I was truly proud of it by the end of it and felt comfortable showing it because I'm like, I mean, kind of vulnerable showing it. The other ones, it was kind of like, you know, I don't care who sees it or watches it, but eyelids, I felt deeply about when I would show it. 
Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of, that was, that was eyelids. Yeah, no, you can really feel that just how personal it is. And uh, it is, yeah, it's just such a unique way of, I think, starting on a film of like taking it from a poem that wasn't even intended uh, as a film. Cause then it like gives it a life of its own in a way uh, where it's not like this was always a film. It like came from a different uh, piece of art and a different way of thinking almost with approaching that. But was there any like, was there a big lesson you feel like you took away from eyelids, like whether just like very simply production wise or uh, about the kind of stories you want to tell after you start sharing something so personal? Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I mean, it almost makes me emotional, but I, I have been going back to eyelids recently because there is such a, a big piece of my heart in that film where I didn't think I didn't care about what anybody thought, you know what I mean? And it was like, this is something that's deeply romantic and personal to me and I'm just going to do it and put it out there. And there, there's an energy there. And, and as we mentioned, I forget if we were recording, but like, as you get older, it's, it's, you know, you start questioning things more, you know, which isn't always a bad thing, um, but it's a different energy. And eyelids was me on the playground. It was literally me just going with my heart, totally heart forward film, not thinking about anything else, but, but love. And that's a piece I've been going back to, um, especially since grasshoppers, you know? Uh, but yeah, very special one. Yeah. And what was the experience like taking that to a festival like Cannes that's so uh, kind of storied and uh, like holds such a place in film culture? It was, it was it was everything you would think it would be. I mean, you know, tuxedos and like, you know, walking around and just I mean, I was, I was still, you know, I was like 20. I wasn't even 21, actually. I think I was I think I was 20. Um, and, you know, I didn't have anything else to offer. So I was literally just there partying having fun and like showed the film and um but i didn't have like my next film i didn't have like a feature i didn't you know what everybody tells you to be prepared for i hadn't i hadn't known so i kind of experienced that firsthand um so i had a great time but in retrospect i feel like yeah you you know when you're in those situations you should have your next project ready to talk about because you're gonna yeah. meet a lot of people so um it was fun i had a, I had a fun time yeah and so this was still your freshman year of college or was it uh, later on? Yeah. So I made it my freshman year, but by the time it played, I think I was, I was like in, going into sophomore in my sophomore year. Okay. And then that was when uh, wet came about in school. That was the next film. Yeah. That was the next one. All right. Yeah. Well, what were some of the things you're thinking about with that one, whether any like inspirations or what you were trying to accomplish with this film? So it, first thing very similar to eyelids like well eyelids was a poem but this was just a straight up visual that came into my mind <laughs> while i was showering <laughs> I'm just, I'm just i was like what if i left the shower but the water never stopped i mean just a totally goofy thought mm -hmm. and it could be a comedy but the more i thought about it the more it was just so like man it's like what an interesting character like just always dripping water um and then i had seen roman polanski's short film two men in a wardrobe uh and so if you see two men in a wardrobe you will see a direct influence of like you know it's two guys carrying this wardrobe around town and they just can't like fit into anywhere because they have this giant wardrobe you know and they're trying to go to a restaurant and they're trying to do this and um so i kind of put my own little spin on it um and there was this whole other like deleted part of like 
he came out of the water with a fish. And so the whole time he's holding a fish. But then when we were, when we were editing, we ended up kind of cutting that out and leaving it a little more ambiguous. Um, but yeah, I think that was also me trying to, I just moved into the city uh, out of the suburbs, you know, and uh, that was like a me, that was a part of me trying to just fit in like, man, like, where's my place? Where's my, you know, where's my, where's my purpose? And um, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, I didn't anticipate it to like get laughs, but like when I, cause it's so heavy, it's like orchestral music and like, <laughs> you know, powerful visuals. And, uh, but yeah, when I play it or when I played it, uh, it got a lot of laughs and which was great. I mean, I, I think it went over well and uh, yeah, we ended up, so that was my production two film and it played at Chicago and we ended up winning the Chicago award. So that was kind of like a really, that was like a really cool moment for our crew. And because uh, we shot the whole thing in one day with no permits in like rush hour, downtown Chicago. I tried to get other people to like act in it, but it was such a difficult task. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I was like, I'm just going to do it, you know? And so I did it myself and I, pr- I mean, without being diagnosed, I'm pretty sure I got like hypothermia. It was, it was the dumbest thing. It was March in Chicago covered in water. We had no, you know, heating, you know, uh, you know, tents or, or whatever. It's like, I was, I was covered with water for, for an entire day straight. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Was that just someone like dumping water on you before every take basically? Yeah. So we, two things, we had hidden wires through my whole body, uh, with like a little pump. So for close-ups, there'd be somebody off camera, like pumping water and it would be hidden in my hair. So you actually got a good streaming effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if it was a wide shot or, you know, if it was a full body shot, uh, we would have, I mean, giant things of water be dumped onto me right before the take and we'd roll that and then, you know, snip out the, that part in post. Mm -hmm. Uh, And dude, it was funny because we had somebody shooting behind the scenes and, uh, every now and then like we'll have somebody come up with this gigantic thing. I mean, there's hundreds of people around me mm-hmm. in rush hour. It's like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning and their faces are just like, you know, it could have been like a candid camera comedy show. Yeah. Everybody was like, what, like, what? I mean, bundled up with scarves and hats and gloves and yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And so what did you was there anything you learned from both acting and directing? Uh, obviously you're in eyelids. Uh, it's a smaller part, but in this one, you're the main character. Uh, was there anything you took away from that experience? Yeah. I mean, I loved it. You know, I haven't, I haven't acted since where the Buffalo Realm, which was like mm-hmm. another one that I did. Um, but I, I really loved it. And I felt like, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have done it with wet. I sort of did it out of necessity, and it's less, I feel like less acting, more modeling. Like there is just a lot of like visual shots. There's no audio, no dialogue. Um, but it's, it's just fun. Like I got like a buzz from it and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you ever consider having any dialogue uh, in this film or was it always intended to be uh, silent? Always silent. Yeah. I always pictured it being a silent film um, and then doing, doing music. I always, I always wanted cello too. So I, when I've, and it's funny because I don't know anything about music, but when I met that cellist, we, we sat and uh, talked about it and I could just hear like, you know, where it gets high and where it gets low. And um, that was my first time really working with like a composer. And it was it was a really wonderful experience. It was fun. Yeah. And how big of a crew did you have uh, with like this and eyelids? Were they similar sizes? And 
eyelids was smaller. It was just me and maybe four or five other people, not including the talent. Mm-hmm. Wet was a little bit bigger because eyelids was also just a bullex. So we were mm-hmm. just, you know, hand cranking. This, I think, was shot on the RESR2, um, which it was funny in that class, we were also just supposed to shoot on the bullex, but I had become friends with uh, Brent Jans, who's a great cinematographer. Uh, and he was uh, in the cam, in the, I think they called it the cage, the equipment cage, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember just kind of, we became friends and I was like, dude, I know we're supposed to shoot on a bullex, but you think you could hook it up with the SR2 and, mm-hmm. you know, just like whatever, like we're here to make movies, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the other classmates in my class at the time were kind of pissed and I'm just <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, you could, you know, whatever, like go do what you want to do. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'd always pictured it being silent because I knew we were going to be shooting without permits because we didn't, you know, it was ridiculous to even try to, get permission from those places and to have audio is just going to be a whole other, uh, you know, huge task. So I was like, let's just, let's just roll visuals only and figure out. So all the sound is post sound to all the sound design, all that was done later. Okay. Yeah. It's really, uh, yeah. The permits thing. I assume that's something you're encouraged to get through the school. Uh, if they're telling you that you're going to shoot out in the streets of Chicago, you have to apply for permits and all that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I remember, dude, I remember the rushes coming back on the, on like a VHS tape and like being totally terrified. I thought we like botched the entire shoot because like everything just looked like so overexposed or like, you know, like this, you know, I'm like, I was freaking out. Um, but then I talked to Brent and it's like, well, one, that's like, the, this is like when rushes were like on a VHS tape, you know? And so mm-hmm. one, that's the conversion to the VHS tape, but two, once we bring it into color, like, you know, we got like a really good color scan. Um, there was so much latitude in the film to like make it look how we wanted to look. So I ended up being really happy with it. Yeah. It looks really gorgeous, especially those uh, beach shots uh, during, is that like morning magic hour? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Those are stunning. It was, it was funny too. Cause the apartment scene, it's like one shot toward the end where I'm like walking down an alleyway. My brother had just moved into this apartment in Wicker park. Like, honestly have lived there for like three days didn't even know the neighbors mm-hmm. and i was like hey dude can i come and shoot in your alley and like he's like really supportive but also like i just moved here and yeah. <laughs> i feel like that is the burden of knowing or being connect or being family members with a filmmaker is mm-hmm. like they're gonna ask you for a favor at some point to shoot in your house yeah. <laughs> or restaurant or whatever it just comes with the territory so yeah absolutely and what, what was it like uh, sharing this film? Was it uh, like, obviously you won the Chicago award, which is really, uh, must've been amazing, but uh, yeah. what was kind of your experience sharing this one? This one I felt really good about. Um, I, I felt like it was, I felt like it was super polished, really clean. Um, every shot was very intentional because I knew it's, there's no, look, no dialogue, no voiceover. And so, you know, everything was just really planned. And so, I don't know, I felt really good about it. Like I said, I didn't anticipate it to be funny, but that's like the magic of the audience. And I, yeah, I, I kind of was happy with it. You know, I kind of, it was like a nice surprise to see yeah. the people humorous. Yeah, no, that's always good. Uh, and then, yeah, heading into uh, Fish Food, was this another uh, film through the school or is this an independent through your uh, company? Yeah, this was independent. I was still, now I was a junior. Mm. Um, 
and this is I was dating the same girl that I wrote eyelids for, and she's Polish. And I was at a Christmas Eve dinner, and she, her mom, had mentioned this story about this carp that, like, they in Poland on Christmas Eve, you go get like a live carp, and told me the story that, like, I mean, it was very much influenced by by her that she she had to go get this fish, and she brought it home, and she couldn't kill it. And I just was I found it so funny and fascinating, and um, so I feel like fish food was was really my first. Even though I kind of like wrote the script, it was, I mean, it was very much inspired by the story that I heard. Um, but I feel like it was the first film that was not, it, it was almost like my way of trying to direct someone else's story, you know, because like I'm not Polish, I don't speak Polish, but it's a story that I'm connected with and I want to try to tell it, you know, visually. Um, and so it was a fun experiment in directing, really, you know. Uh, we casted all Polish speaking actors off Craigslist. Um, it was our first time really holding casting sessions. So like I, I took a lot from that experience. Like we, yeah, we'd rent a space and had our camera set up and had all kinds of people come in for a day um, and found location, you know, speaking with uh, the mother who had told me that story, what her town looked like and trying to find apartments in Chicago that emulated that. It's funny because there's an outdoor street corner in Pilsen that looked just like this corner in Poland, you know, and so we shot on that corner in Pilsen, the apartment we found, I felt like had a very good look. It wasn't just like, you know, we're just shooting in a friend's apartment. It's like, no, no, we got to find the right one. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was a great, ex another experimental short film, um, less personal than my other ones, but, uh, but really fun to try to tell that story in the native language. Yeah. Because I noticed too, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit to uh, Grasshoppers, which is also about uh, a perspective on the immigrant experience uh, that this yeah. is kind of like the first time it's emerging uh, in your work. So I was curious about how it came about. Uh, but yeah, what did you learn from kind of the casting doing what sounds like a little bit more prep than your last films? Did you yeah. feel much more prepared once you got to set or uh, what was kind of the effects? What did you learn from that? Yeah, that one... Um we did have someone who spoke Polish on set as well. So, I mean, cause we're, when we're doing takes, I'm looking at the blocking and um, the, the beats of like when the audio is coming and, you know, I can't quite tell if a line was right. So there'd be somebody there to kind of help me with that. Um, but we, you know, I decided to cast like, that's a mother daughter, you know? Mm -hmm. And so instead of getting a different mother and a different daughter, I liked the dynamic they brought. And because it was, Hey, it's a short film or we have one day to shoot. Like, I want as much chemistry as possible because we don't have a lot of time to prep. So I went for a mother daughter duo, which I, and it's funny because the mother had brought her daughter to the casting session for the daughter. Like she wasn't there to audition. And when we're in the room, I was like, Hey, you mind if I, you just read some lines with her and I kind of convinced her to do it. So it wasn't in her, <laughs> you know, she, she didn't want to do it uh, per se, but I, I was happy to work with her on it. Um, but then while we're shooting the short film, this was the first time what I, my biggest takeaway from fish food was the camera language because in both in eyelids, which is very experimental, still intentional shots. Wet was the first time I used a dolly, um, but all the shots have intention and, but they're very static, you know, or very slow moving with fish food. We opted to go sort of a static handheld 
you know, so there's just like a, a subtle movement to the frame, mm-hmm. which I, I had been seeing in, in some French films at the time. And I just liked that the camera had like some subtle movement to it. It wasn't completely flat. And to let shots lead into other shots, which is funny, but it's like that's something I remember from watching Steven Spielberg talk about Jaws, where it's like there's three people talking here. And then all of a sudden this guy moves over there and the camera turns into an over the shoulder, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like shots leading into other shots. And in fish food, that was something we're like, okay, let's start on a handheld static wide. And as she walks in, we hold on that two shot, but then they walk close to camera and we pan left and it turns into, you know, a wide into the bathroom mm-hmm. instead of, you know, you know, shooting a close-up of a door opening and, and this and that. It's like, let's try to get it in one movement, but it has to feel organic. And so that, I feel like I really experimented with blocking the most in that movie. And yeah, I, I took a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, you can really see that. Those shots really uh, stand out in a really interesting way. Uh, it definitely happens a few times, moving from one space to the other, like panning within a shot. Um so was that uh was this on digital or was this also film this was this was on digital and then yeah unfortunately there's only been a couple other times since wet that i've shot on film you know i really would love to shoot everything on film but yeah this started my digital run (laughs) yeah (laughs) and was that what was uh was there anything that jumped out to you from switching to uh i guess back from film to digital on this uh whether it's like more freedom or anything like that we well we kept the same philosophy so and i mean even to this day so like yeah even though even though we started going digitally i all of those films i worked with the same dp too up until um a little bit before grasshoppers there's a, a field song is a different dp but um this was my buddy jake and so we had like a great working relationship and so we knew even if it's digital you know, same prep, same, same philosophy, same ideas. Mm-hmm. And do yeah. you, so you feel like it was like one of those things, less takes, uh, being very conscious of what you are shooting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Less takes always. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, what made Jake such a strong collaborator with you in your mind? Like what helped you keep coming back to work with each other? And what were some of the things that really jumped out to you or felt special about your dynamic yeah we were i mean we were just like best friends i mean you know we met skating so we came, we did all of it together from doing those early skate videos music videos to that first short film before i went to columbia like it was always jake and i trying different things um and we we just had a shorthand like we both were into the same artistic influences i feel like we we always we always butted heads, like challenged each other deeply um, to the point where on our early stuff, I mean, you know, we'd be arguing in front of cast and crew is terrible, very toxic. <laughs> and like, but then we're growing up together. We're starting to realize how to have creative differences, how to talk. Um, and uh, I, I just knew I could always trust him. Like there was no ego, even if we would, even if we would argue, it was always an argument of, you know, the product of the film. Um, and he really challenged me a lot, which either made me double down on why I believed in something or kind of helped me question, you know, why, you know? Um, so yeah, he, he was a great, great collaborator for a long time. And then 
and then I feel like, yeah, we, we kind of got to a point in our, both of our careers where it was time to just try something else, you know? Yeah. Was it always the dynamic? Cause it is very unique to be able to spend that much time and grow uh, both literally and as artists with a collaborator. Um, but was there uh, whatever point where you were like cinematographer and he was writing, directing, or was it always kind of, <laughs> he was the camera. Uh, he was more interested in that and you were interested in the other side. Yeah, he he's a great director, too. So he's gotten more into directing over the years. Also still a great DP. Mm-hmm. But I've just never had the bug to be a DP. You know, like I would do it out of necessity sometimes on other people's projects. But um, yeah, I it just I never had that that calling to be like a, uh, the master of light. You know, like I could see it. And I could talk about it. But I much love collaborating with someone who's, you know, that that is their that is their passion, you know, they're artists in that way. And um, yeah, I love working with actors. I love, I love working with all the different departments, you know, so I, to be, to be just with, with, uh, with the camera and the light, I felt like uh, was not my calling. Yeah. And so for you, like writing and directing was always, was that kind of it? Did you ever really try experimenting with other facets of production or pre or post or anything like that? Yeah, I remember in in school, you know, like I I remember I would do location sound, you know, for this person. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, to this day, I edit quite often. Editing was actually the first thing I did before writing or directing was always, always editing. So I love editing. Um, You know, it's not my passion, but it's it's a piece that I feel like I'm probably the closest to outside of writing and directing would be editing. Cause I feel like it's, it's your biggest opportunity to, to storytell really. Yeah. You have all of these pieces and you could completely reinvent the story or serve what the script was. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it all kind of informs each other. I found too, like editing can make you a stronger writer kind of seeing what's necessary, what's not. And Oh, completely. Uh, yeah. Ed- editing. I mean, I would recommend anyone who, wants to be a director to be able to edit because it also impacts when you're on set you know you kind of like i love having editors on set too if you can you know because it's like you know what you're getting what you need what you're missing um yeah i feel like if, if you're a good editor and you know what it's like to be in the bay you like working with what you have and you've been through all those times where you didn't have what you needed or you're looking at the footage and you're like oh the camera should have turned left you know and it's like it, it just makes you a better filmmaker if you know mm-hmm. how to edit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so can I ask how the family of your girlfriend at the time reacted to fish food when the, when they saw it? Did they ever, <laughs> did you ever see it with them or that? That's, probably, that's probably why we broke up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it went, I remember showing like coming over and like showing it in the living room and, and, you know, it being like, that's something I think that is really special. If you can take someone's like personal story and somehow like immortalize it in a, in a film for people who aren't filmmakers too, it's kind of like a time capsule, you know, where it's like you, you shared this thing with me that might just be this random memory of yours, but like something about you sharing it made me feel something. And like me as like a filmmaker, it I, I feel like it's my responsibility to like, to kind of capture that firefly. And it's like, here, like, here's this gift. Like, you know, I don't know if you'll ever watch it again and maybe somebody else will see this and, you know, remember, you know, your story cause they've experienced it too. But 
uh, I just remember meeting a lot of people where they're just like, yeah, I remember Christmas Eve in Poland. That's what we did. Like it was a very common thing. So um, she was very grateful. She was very grateful for it. Yeah, that's an interesting part of, I think, yeah, not really uh, talked about a lot in film. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Camera Buff by Kieslowski. Uh, no. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. There's just a moment where this, it's a factory worker who buys a camera to capture his child being born and then gets really into filmmaking uh, in like 70s Poland. Uh, and then there's just like these moments where he's like kind of, it starts to like take over his life where he like can't stop filming everything. And uh, it's really one of the most interesting films, I think, about being a filmmaker and kind of what you're talking about of that. Uh capturing immortalizing for certain people like what might just be and what one-off thing or like a little detail that you grab and then it's really like really meaningful that you don't have any idea or control over how people are going to react to your work and uh or how you're going to respond to something that you see Uh, i'm going to look that up that sounds fascinating yeah it's by the uh the filmmaker made uh like the three colors uh trilogy oh yeah yeah uh all right. They, so then next up, uh, this is, I believe, the first film I saw of yours and what led me to originally reach out because I saw the Buffalo Grove <laughs> street signs. <laughs> and I was like, there's another suburban <laughs> Illinois, Illinoisian out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I just rewatched it again before this and it's still, uh, I feel like it's very, uh, it's very influential for me. It was like a really inspiring short to see someone not only coming from the same place, but kind of tackling not even like direct plot details, but getting that uh, very personal story out there and making it cinematic and being able to share it with the crowd. So I guess, yeah, like, what were you thinking about what led you to make this film and what are some of your, your memories, learnings from where the Buffalo room? Yeah. So I have, I have two older brothers. And so the one in where the Buffalo room is Tyler, my oldest brother, Wes, I had, I had lived with, that was the first time I moved out in Wicker park for a little bit. Um, but then I had ended up moving back home. And so I had been back home while I finished my last year of college. Um, and I was about to now move back out to the city for good this time. And I was going to start my production company in Pilsen. Um, and so my, my older brother, Tyler, uh, was still living at home and we had just started, I mean, it sounds funny, but like really connecting, you know, like. Our, I, I've always wanted to make a movie about brotherhood. Um, you know, I love I love talking about uh, you know different masculine energies and like how to connect with you know with with your blood. And uh, me and Ty had had over many nights done just that, like walked around through the suburbs late at night, and it was like this uh, just quiet ghost town at night, and it, it was like this this safety. You know, like I felt like oh man, like we could do anything. And uh, really all I wanted to do was like talk, have a couple beers and like get to some emotional truth. Um, And I kept like building it up in my head and, uh, you know, it wasn't happening, but we were having a great time connecting regardless. And again, like me being a filmmaker, it's like a disease, you know, like you can't like get rid of it. I was like, man, like what if, you know, one of those nights I was like, what if we made like a documentation of this? Like, what would you think of that? I mean, he had never acted, no desire to act and very different people, you know, mm-hmm. we are similarities, but we're very different. And uh, he was open to it. And so for a couple of weeks, I remember getting one of those little mini DV cameras and like, Hey, all right. So, you know, we're hanging out in the garage and I'm just going to 
turn on this camera and I'm just going to put it over there in the corner and we're just going to leave it on for, you know, two hours while we do what we do and hang out and talk and chill just to get him used to the idea of a camera being around. Um, and so after we did that for like a couple of weeks, I was like, all right, I'm getting pretty serious about like, you know, trying to document this, but it's not going to be, you know, just like with this mini DV, like if I, if I do it, like I'm thinking I'm going to get like a whole crew and like, we'll get actual locations, you know, we'll go shoot at the school that we actually went to. Um, and we both agreed that this could be something pretty cathartic for us. Um, and so it's probably one of the most personal projects I've done because we're also playing versions of ourselves in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that opening shot of us coming, or I'm sorry, the opening montage. I mean, that's all like real home, home movie footage and fun stuff. Uh, and then the house we walk out of, that was me and Jake scouring Buffalo Grove, trying to find like the coolest opening frame. Mm -hmm. And then we went on that house, you know, and it was like, Hey, can we shoot here? And I mean, it was just so cool. Everybody was so open and said yes. And we changed the street sign, you know, we talked to the, to the, to the county and we got like a buffalo we wanted to say buffalo or countryside i forget if it's buffalo, buffalo grove or countryside well you know it was very specific um and yeah i i had at the time you know i've been watching like a lot of joe swamberg and like you know the quote-unquote mumblecore era of filmmaking and you know being inspired by that but also wanting to have a cinematic edge and wanting it to feel a certain way um and again, be like very intentional about the shots. Um, and so, yeah, with Jake, we just, we, we A, went to all the places that we've lived and experienced, and then B, went back and tried to find like the, the most cinematic way to tell it. And like one of my favorite shots in that is when we're walking next to the highway. Um, there's actually an homage to that in Grasshoppers, it's the same highway. And uh, I call, we called it the treadmill shot where it just looks like we're talking about going everywhere, but we're going nowhere because we're mm -hmm. it's a long lens and we're walking straight. So it looks like nothing's happening, but we're seeing all these cars move on the side. And it's this idea of this self-imposed entrapment. Like you could do anything, you could go anywhere, but we're doing nothing, you know? And that was kind of this metaphor and symbolism of suburbia. And like, I was about to move out and, and in reality, I was about to move out and my brother was still there. And so I wanted to kind of have these, these two characters who are spending this momentary time together, but about to be in transit and everything's about to change, which for a long time was one of my biggest fears with, was this fear of change. And so that, that film for me is very much an embodiment of that, um, culminating in, in the breakdown at the end, which was all very real and, and raw. And that was, that was the school we went to that wall was the, it's a real wall. Anytime somebody graduates, they sign their name on that wall. And my brother and I never got to sign it. So it was a very cathartic thing at the end. It, improvisational too, is just one of those takes where we were very much in it. And then I, I, I kept a marker in my pocket. Cause I was like, on the last take, I'm going to have you put me on your shoulders and we're just going to, you know, I'm just going to sign the wall and let's see if it makes, if it, if it's good for the shot. And I felt like it, it worked very well. Um, and then, yeah, at the end, I always, I always knew I wanted it to end with, with my brother being this sort of un, unsung hero in my life, even if it's not, because the conversation, even in the film, never truly happens. You know what I mean? It's never truly this like brother to brother, like, here's how I feel about you. It's told through the scenes and the situations. And 
eventually all you hear me say is I don't want to go, you know? And to me, that was kind of the whole point. It's this like, you know, this like baby brother and like the, you know, my older brother and we're so different, but we're the same. And, and then at the end, he's the one who gets me to sign, you know, it's like, I felt like that was in many ways, that was like a gift to my brother to say like, man, here's how I feel about you. You know, like, even though this is a movie, it's not quite real. And I might not, it, it's like hard to tell you how much I love you sometimes, but like, I hope by the end, you seeing yourself get that sign for me, you know what you mean to me, you know, that was, it was like a gift. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you can really feel the personality and the uh, relationship, the history between both of you in that film. Uh, what was the actual production like? So it's really interesting too, of trying to capture this event before it even happens. Uh, yeah. And then, so like, were you like, how, how long did they actually take to shoot? Like how much crew did you have? Was it just like one night, everyone following you around or it took a little bit longer, I assume? Yeah, so this was, it was a seven day shoot, um, all overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we wouldn't start till like seven or eight and then we'd wrap around four or five in the morning. Um, and we kind of picked off a couple locations each night. Um, and it's funny too, cause we rented this like scissor lift and we had this like very aerial whole tone in the movie and uh, of, of like shots we would get of each location completely static. Uh, and we ended up not using any of them in, in, in the final mm-hmm. film. Um, you know, but it, yeah, it was a seven day shoot. I think our crew was probably 20 to 25. So even though it feels so intimate, like right outside the camera, I mean, there's, there's a whole, you know, four person sound team, you know, gaffers, grips and Jake DPing and production designers. And yeah, it was, it was a big one. It was a big one. It was the biggest one that we had done at the time. Yeah. And what was that, this one, like kind of finishing that and sharing it? Uh, both with audiences and with your brother and family. That was, that was the best I I felt, you know, sharing that because I mean, every time I showed it, it was literally just like showing somebody a piece of my heart. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is me. You know what I mean? Uh, it felt good. Um, it was kind of very cathartic. I, that's how I always describe that one is like my most cathartic piece. I feel like, um, and one that I feel like, really brought Ty and I closer together, you know? Uh, and so I'm really, really proud of that one. Yeah. Yeah. You can really uh, feel that. I think there is, yeah, something between like just wanting to make a movie because you want to make a movie and then making a film because it's something that you want to say or share. Uh, it's like a part of a piece of you, as you're saying, like a piece of your heart that you're putting out yeah. there. I, you know, that one I had, um, so with, with my crew, like my friends, we had this production company called Rubbish and it was Jake, Bob, Nick, and Alex. And we, uh, at one point we were like, man, like that could be a feature, you know? Like I, I was like, that was gonna be what I thought was gonna be my first feature. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we made that short film, I, uh, I just was so happy with it. Like I didn't wanna artificially just like make it longer, you know? Like I felt like I said what I wanted to say with that. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up just putting it on Vimeo. And then that was like when we got like our first staff pick. And that was a really cool moment because I didn't, you know, you never think about what it's such a personal thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, there's all these comments and it like people resonate with it. It's like, it makes me feel like, wow, there is like a, a section for films like this, you know? And so I was really, I mean, I love that you saw it, you know, and that you reached out because I feel like 
there a lot of people live in that area or know like what the suburbs are like. And one of my favorite authors is John Cheever, and he writes a lot about that. You know, the mm-hmm. suburbs, obviously a different era, but um, that just like the simple stories of of human beings, like in, in like this self imposed. It could be a prison or it could be a castle, and you know, people kind of fearing change. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have to ask too: Are you still a big climber? Because uh, I think in most scenes of that movie, you're <laughs> a lot of scenes you're climbing up, like a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny. There, I, there's this climbing gym out here in Ventura uh, that I that I, I don't go nearly as much as I should, but it's uh, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's just fun. It's endorphin inducing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can see it's yeah, uh, very much a part of uh, you. But yeah, I, know what I saw too the exit, uh, the highway, uh, the treadmill shot you were talking about. I should say, uh, I was yeah going to ask because you couldn't see the street signs, but it seemed like the same shot that was in Grasshoppers. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's it's really interesting. You got to come back there and uh, with the feature, and so for the feature on this one, was this something where you were gonna come back to it uh after the short like you're gonna write out a whole feature or you're gonna do a similar production model or what was the plan for yeah i had i had written other scenes i mean i had you know pages and pages of of different scenes um but like i just i don't know i i had a really hard time landing on like a screenplay for my feature you know and we'll get into that but Mm -hmm. uh, um i just yeah i just felt satisfied with the short um I, I yeah I, I just kept feeling like I was stretching it you know yeah yeah that's great uh and then so yeah again in the next ones I believe are the uh Mick Jagger film and then the night we got old uh and those are both like using voiceover uh primarily uh so yeah. Yeah, I'm curious yeah what were you thinking about what was the intention with these films uh what was kind of the inspiration behind them yeah these two it's funny these two are are kind of my person the night we got old specifically is one of my personal favorites. Um, and I was going through this phase where I just, anytime I would, I would write like after where the Buffalo Rome specifically, it's like, I would write a script and then I'd be like, ah, I'd find a reason not to do it, you know, and I'd write something and find a reason not to do it. And I was kind of starting to shy away from, I had been averaging like a short film a year, you know? And it was, that was advice that like Miguel always told me. He's like, if you make one every year, you're good. You know, and it was just this like, maybe this OCD part of me where I'm like, I have to do something. Um, and with with um, uh, Mick Jagger short, I had gone to New York. I had Googled like Mick Jagger impersonators because I was writing a feature at the time about a Mick Jagger impersonator. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just meet one of the best. And I found this guy in New York and he was like, yeah, I'm doing a show if you want to come hang out, you know. And so I went with just like me and a couple friends and a camera and we just filmed him. We interviewed mm-hmm. him. We filmed him the whole night. I mean, no voiceover. There's, you know, none of that. It's all color footage. We shot on like a 5D, you know, just just hanging out. And then I, I held on to that footage for like a year. And uh, my friend Nick was just like, you know, you should re-look at this footage because we never released anything. Um, and so... I, and then around the same time with the night we got old, I was getting into this idea of finding fi- found footage and just writing a very personal poem and making it sound like a voicemail where it's almost like little, again, like time capsules of, of moments in time and, um, you know, just kind of like love letters. 
And so for me, those two films are kind of in the, sh the same experimental genre of me trying to, to make, make, see if I can make a short film using existing footage. You know, like The Night We Got Old is all stuff that I just ripped off YouTube, whereas make the Mick Jagger one is stuff we actually shot, but then I, I made it look super crazy. I punched in. That was a big like editing experiment for me. Um, and just wanting it, wanting it to feel like a, like you just jumped into somebody's heart for a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are kind of like in the same experimental period. Yeah. They both almost call back to eyelids a little bit and using a poem or writing yes. or visuals. Yeah, definitely that energy for sure. Yeah. And uh, is it something you'd ever kind of consider going back to, or do you see that more as like that spark of, I want to get, these films made in a year i'm experimenting on these specific things i want to try and get better at uh is it something that's kind of still in your head as a potential definitely animal? still in my head. yeah okay. i i love stuff like that um yeah i think i'm still there's still something about that that i almost i have been bringing to like every project recently like i think there's for me there's like a flame in poetry you know and that's something i'm exploring a lot right now yeah and what, yeah, did you learn anything else besides those things you were trying to experiment with, with those films? Like any like big takeaway from these experiences uh, that maybe you weren't expecting or uh, kind of surprised you from making films in this style? Yeah, well, it reminded me when I did Eyelids, I, I went over to my grandpa's place at the time and, and I had this old thrift store voice recorder and he read it one time into the recorder. That was it. We didn't do like multiple takes and that's the take that's in the film mm -hmm. of eyelids and so i did the same thing with um with the mcjagger short film and with the night we got old there's these two actors um where uh fazia did the mcjagger one where i'm like hey just call my phone and just just read this thing into my phone and then uh tony papaleo did the night we got old who unfortunately has just passed away um which is probably why i like that piece even more because i loved loved him as an actor um got to know him a little bit as, as a person, but uh, I had really wanted to work with him more. He's in a couple, he, it's funny because he's in Where the Buffalo Roam, but we there we just ran out of time. We had a whole scene that was scripted for him at the bar and it sucked because he's such a great actor. And I, it is one thing I just, I it's happened multiple times. It just happens, but like you just run out of time and it's like, we, we had we had to like wrap the set and move on and we didn't get to shoot his monologue. And so that was a regret that I have. So. I ended up when I did the night we got old, he was the first person I was like, I know we're not shooting anything visually, but I mean, just his voice, it, I feel like is there's so much like in his voice that just I, I felt like pain in, in his words. And I mean, there was really no direction I had to do. It was like, just call and just read this, you know, and so I go, I go back to that one pretty often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can really feel is he's yeah a great voice and it fits uh, really well with the writing and uh, the tone of that piece um but yeah so then moving on uh nomad was the next short uh what were you trying to do uh what was like the intention inspiration with that one uh kind of coming back to more uh a little bit more traditional narrative uh short film yeah so this this is actually the last thing i shot with jake mm. nomad mm -hmm. uh, so i was just about to become a dad uh i had just gotten married and this film was me it served two purposes. One, I really wanted to shoot something before I became a dad and have it be about that 
sort of conundrum, even if it's not about birth, it's about this undeniable responsibility that's about to befall somebody. And in the film, it's kind of funny where it's like, he just doesn't want to stay for the dinner party, but like, they're the ones who like are hosting it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, something, it's something you can't get out of. Like you're in, you're in now and trying to find like comfort or peace in that situation. Uh, so I had been driving. I used to just love driving through Chicago at night, especially down the loop at like, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like dead after eight. So it's mm-hmm. just drive under the L tracks and it's beautiful. And that Phil, Sol- the Phil Collins song, with Kate Bush came on that uh, we used in the film, don't give up. You have friends, don't give up, you know? And uh, it just, I had such a powerful feeling for me that I kind of wanted that to be the apex of the film and have it be a reason for him to finally accept staying at the dinner party is like, you have friends, you know, it's like the end of it's a wonderful life. Like, you know, you know, your friends, I forget now, I forget the quote. Um, no man has a failure who has friends or something like that, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, I know we all have these dreams and these aspirations, but man, what if you just tuned in to the moment and enjoyed dinner with your friends? Is there anything else you could possibly want? You have this beautiful wife, this beautiful home. And so then at the end, I wanted it to end with him at the head of the table with his, with his jacket off, you know, Mm -hmm. for the first, he wears his jacket the whole time. Um, And the other reason for that film was the main actor, uh, Malik Bader, uh, who did this feature that I mentioned earlier called Street Thief, um, that had a tremendous impact on me. And I, I, I sought him out, I reached out to him and, uh, we just, we would just keep meeting up and I looked up to him a lot and always wanted to work with an actor. Uh, and so that was something he, he wanted to do with me and we shot it at his house and it was this really personal, like, I mean, probably eight person crew, very small crew. And, yeah, something we shot in, in one night. Wow. Do you feel like there's a lot of benefits? It, it feels like there's like a significant amount of your filmography that has been shot in a day or like one period of time as opposed to the more traditional, usual, like multiple days, which you've done both of. But uh, like, what's kind of the difference there for you? Like, do you, what do you feel when you're shooting something in one day as opposed to a more traditional shooting schedule? Well, the thing the thing I love about shooting in one day, if, if you can, I mean, it depends, like if it's even possible, like if it's a small idea, then yeah, it's possible. But the thing I love is almost a very selfish feeling. It's like, part of me always wishes I was a musician. So I could just go to open mics and just sing a song. Mm -hmm. And when you have a one day shoot, there's this like great feeling of like, wow, we're going to be done by the end of the day. And then I could get into post and I love post. And, um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, longer shoot, they're the same. They're just longer, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's like doing multiple open mics, but like there's no audience until the last day or something, you know, it's, <laughs> I just feel like it's a marathon. Um, yeah, I could, I could go either way, but I, there's just something gratifying about finishing, you know? And so one day you just finish sooner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, something I, you talk about being a musician, obviously you've uh, had experience with a lot of different art forms as well, but film is one of those tough things that's really pretty impossible to do on your own. Uh, like you need the other people, you need your crew, you need your cast and uh, you can't really just be like, today I'm going to make a film. Like there's the yeah. prep and everything that goes into it. So uh, I, yeah, it's, it was interesting to me that that kind of jumped out of uh, that. That's happened a few times with you. And uh, I think seeing the success, like these films end up very interesting and uh, you can still like feel your style doesn't feel rushed. Like I would never would have guessed this one 
uh specifically was one day um i noticed too it's another kind of like lead in uh i think it's the first time i saw it, there was like the fireplace on the tv which in grasshoppers there's a lot of like the fireplaces and the beach uh kind of like the nature shots on the tv uh yeah. so was this like the first time that visual idea came to you and what was kind of behind that yeah uh oh man it's just I don't, it's just so funny to me like that mm-hmm. visual um i saw it when we were scouting his house and uh you know i i just feel like it, it was a very domesticated like picture to me uh a digital television above like a fireplace that it was a gas fireplace too you know what mm-hmm. i mean so i'm like you're not actually working to you're not chopping wood you're not like starting a fire and not only that but like how funny would it be if the fire is on the tv above the fireplace it was just it was just this symbolic thing about you know how easy it is to become trapped like mm-hmm. in your in your in your suburban uh, fence you know yeah. And yeah, something I wanted in Grasshoppers, there's almost a, an homage to each one of these shorts, you know, like I wanted there to be a piece of like all of them in there. So yeah, that was one that I, once we found the right house in Grasshoppers, I was like, there's the fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> it's above a fireplace. It's just yeah. so, yeah, very American. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get more into that later. Uh, but yeah, what was kind of the was there a big takeaway from this film, like something that you learned or uh, kind of brought with you into future projects? Yeah, this, um, and I probably should have mentioned this on Grasshoppers, but this is well, so, or I'm sorry, where the Buffalo Roam. Um, if I could just touch on that for just a sec, like I feel like with eyelids, wet and fish food, it's very like surreal, very imaginative, very romantic. And then with where the Buffalo Roam, I had just seen Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, and mm-hmm. so I wanted, and I, I was very inspired by like Sean Durkin and, and those guys and wanting to do something very based in reality. And then finding that story with my brother just made perfect sense for that. But then with, with Nomad, it was, okay, now, now I've started this trajectory of like doing stuff based in real life, uh, very reality uh, storylines. But how, like, what would it be like if we, in, you know, infused a little bit of like, symbolism again or something gets we're you know something gets surreal and so that moment when he for us that moment was i mean already the idea is kind of surreal even though it's real but like the dinner party and wanting to leave before they get there but then once he just steps out and and urinates like with the door open and no one says anything Mm -hmm. it's just it felt very animalistic and we shot it in a totally real way like not in like a I feel like there's so many different ways you could have approached that moment of him just like leaving and, and pissing outside the the dining room with everybody right there enjoying the party and no one comments on it. But mm-hmm. we landed on just a static long lens of just seeing it happen. And it's kind of funny. Um, but that I guess that was that was the takeaway with that was just trying to. Again, I mean, really, when you look at all of these, it's trying different like genres in a way you know, different, even though there's like seeds in each one that are very similar, this one was trying to get back to a little bit of like surreal quality to a, to, to now like a real storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, are you still writing, thinking about what a feature may be for you? I like what that first feature will look like. Yes. And be. Yeah. Still. And yeah, it's funny because like, yeah, Nomad 
it, I had written this whole thing for, for the, the lead, his name is Malik, Malik Bader. Um, and so that was twofold. One, us as a chance to work together, but two, I, I mean, I had been writing something with him in mind to, to be lead in for a much larger project. So yeah, still, still discovering what that feature is, what it could be and kind of getting to know and becoming friends with Malik in the mm -hmm. process. And is it something where if you had the resources at that time, you would have tried to do that feature now, or did you feel like you were still experimenting and not quite ready for uh, jumping in on a feature? Honestly, I, I was, I was starting to feel pretty antsy and this, this is also something I feel like I've healed from, but like not being like in the moment, you know, like mm -hmm. I kept feeling like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should have already done a feature. Uh, and so it was eating away at me, you know, big time. And because I knew I was ready, I just didn't have the story or the script that like I could go to fight for. And so I would keep writing these shorts and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I really liked it. And I'm like, well, I guess we're going to do another short, you know, yeah. and like almost downplaying it. But, um, you know, that was like, it was a really beautiful time. But at the time I was not like I was not satisfied, which is kind of sad, like looking back, um, you know, because that was all of those are very special to me, but I didn't yeah. really know it at the time. Yeah, it, I think it's hard really with film to turn off that voice or those voices that are like, oh, well, look at all these people who are doing it like so young and like finding some kind of success where. Uh, there isn't like that kind of appreciation of like taking your time, like learning as you go. And there's kind of like an expectation or desire for people to be like fully formed by the time they're like starting out, uh, which just isn't the case for like 99% of filmmakers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then so uh, Lady of the House is the last narrative uh, short that I believe you did. Uh, so what uh again yeah what's in your what's in your head going into this one what are you thinking about what's the uh, inspiration intention uh with this film well yeah lady of the house is very much inspired by um my wife at the time uh her, that was that's actually her sister um who i mean is the weirdest thing i had been writing this story about an opera singer who is like a stay-at-home mom and uh celeste had told me like hey my sister literally used to be an opera singer and she's now a stay-at-home mom of two kids mm. and i was like how fascinating is that um because i that was a feature i'd been writing um and so it it's a very it's a very companion piece almost to where the buffalo room because it, it's it's her playing a version of herself right mm -hmm. so i had like i had played in that world before i kind of had an idea of what i wanted to do we shot all that's very different though we shot all that in one day so, and that was a crew of, of two people. It was me and the DP, and I also ran sound. Like, wow. it was completely like, hey, we're going to go do this thing. Tell me what your day looks like, and we're just going to follow you around. And then I'm going to plant, like, a couple of, like, situations that happen, and then you just react to it. So it was very, <laughs> like, I mean, it's funny, but I was going to say, like, a French New Wave, where it's like, I mean, we're just, we're, we were just running into restaurants, like, you know, where she meets her, her sister in the restaurant. Like I walked in there whole, you know, it's me and Casey was the DP outside 
and I walked in and I just talked to um, the manager. I was like, hey, we're doing a documentary on breastfeeding. Can I just do a quick interview over there? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, yeah, right on. Like, go for it. Like, free the nipple. You yeah. know? <laughs> I was like, awesome. Thank you. So we just rolled in. We shot that in one take. We ordered food. We hung out. And then we moved on to the next scene. And um, so, yeah, I took a lot from that where it was, and I was really, really happy with how that turned out. And it was a very different process than where the Buffalo Room, which was like, like I said, 25, 30 person crew, we're slating, there's quiet on set, everything mm-hmm. is very much a set. Whereas that was, I mean, we're, you know, it was exhilarating, you know, we're just, we're running, we're getting it, we're finding happy accidents, we planned the day, and then we just kind of saw what happened. And in the scene, we're in the car, I'm in the trunk holding a boom, and her, um, her son Davy starts crying. And I'm just like, I mean, it's it's so terrible in retrospect, but I'm in the trunk and I'm just like, Casey, pan the camera, get a close up of Davey now. And like, <laughs> so he pans the camera and then, you know, he starts crying even louder. And there's this like horrible part of me that's just like, yes, we're getting it. You know, yeah. the human part of me is like, oh, poor Davey, my nephew, like, oh, my God, like, I hope he's OK. And <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the disease of being a filmmaker. <laughs> filming the tears of a real person and yeah trying not to feel guilty yeah yeah seeing the positives and <laughs> something like that yeah yeah it's so interesting that's again like not something i would have expected to have been shot so quickly and with such a small crew uh was the i mean the small crew kind of sounds like it was more out of necessity than choice uh yeah. like how did you like land on shooting this film this way was it just to get it shot and have this film made or uh what what was the thought process well i mean to be truthful this is a big regret that i have uh i shot that film on a family vacation with Mm. (laughs) like that's why i said my wife at the time Mm. uh and our two kids um i just didn't know when to turn it off um you know and and again that's a uh a big a big thing that i've kind of learned from And I was just always chasing this thing outside of myself and uh, outside of the moment. And I would look at every opportunity as like, oh, this could be a, maybe this is the feature. Maybe this could be a short film and not tuning into what I should have been tuning into at the moment was my marriage, my family vacation. And let's just go to the pier and talk about other things. And Mm -hmm. so I was, I was pretty heavy to be around, you know? Uh, And so, yeah, that, that came up out of my own selfishness was was doing that yeah yeah well yeah thank you for yeah sharing that that's uh yeah obviously uh a tough situation but um it's i just want to say this it's never worth it it's not i mean like i didn't have to do that i could have done that another time Mm -hmm. i am i am that's the thing though i am happy with it like i'm very proud of it but every time i i see it there's like a there's a painful part of me you know, because I, I look at the end, it's, it's oddly like art imitating life. You know, you look at the end and here's this beautiful woman singing on the edge of her bed while the husband's asleep. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And like, I'm the one who made that film. And yet I'm also the husband who's asleep. You yeah. know, it's so it's so bizarre. Yeah. And that's not necessarily something you're conscious of at the time, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's something yeah. that later in life and obviously through years after that and, and therapy is coming to terms with like, Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. 
yeah it's really it's yeah fascinating to kind of see that uh the things you don't really realize are maybe intentional but like some deep part uh is being put out there through this uh work um and then so yeah then moving on field song is your is this like the first true uh documentary you've done because there's been a lot of documentary narrative uh experimentation in your career but yeah i would say this is this is i did one other one but i never released it so i mean i would say this is this is the first um and yeah it was it was the first time i kind of felt a desire to to do like a true short documentary um and that was that was my wife's father uh roberto uh we had and this was so this was we had just moved to california you know so we had just gotten here and we were living with them at the time for six months while we kind of got on our feet and that was a story we were having a beer together that he just he just told me like hey i i mean i grew up on the fields and uh you know he told me i mean amongst thousands of other stories you know that was one five minute tale that he told me that i was just kind of like oh wow that was like again very similar to um uh fish food where someone told me a story that i just connected with and um it's not my story but i also i just moved here and all those fields are pretty much my backyard like that's you know it's all along the shore i drive past it every day and i just moved in with my father-in-law like how interesting would it be to use my talent as like a storyteller filmmaker to as an opportunity to collaborate with my father-in-law and get to know him and and to tell his story like it was like a you know a, a great pairing um and so yeah i used it as an opportunity to get to know him better and to kind of introduce myself to Ventura. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what that, what that served as. Um, and the thing I was most excited about doing, again, very similar to eyelids and the Mick Jagger and, and night we got old, I had a little audio recorder and I'm like, at the last minute, I was like, you know what, can you do it in Spanish? Mm-hmm. You know, cause he speaks, he speaks English, but I'm like, you know, I think it would just be, it'd be more authentic if you, if you said it in Spanish, I, it was just a, a feeling. So he did it in Spanish and then I had it transcribed so I can do all the subtitling myself. Um, and, uh, then I just went around and with Casey, same DP from, uh, lady of the house. And we felt, we felt all the footage we filmed in one day. So it was like, I scouted for, you know, weeks and I'm just like, Hey, this field at this time looks cool this here looks cool. And I wanted them all to be static shots, you know, all of them, all natural light, just at the right times of day. Um, and I always knew I wanted it to end with one moving shot, you know? And so for me, that was like, can this work again? It was like another experiment of, you know, ending. And I was reading a lot of Bukowski at the time. And the thing I loved about love about Bukowski is you could read some of his poems and they'll be so, like again based in reality like oh it's very graphic but then at the last line of one of his poems will just be this completely symbolic like gut punch of like heart you know and i'm like oh that's interesting if in film what if i could do something similar where it's like it's this style it's very much a poem that's why i called it field song Mm -hmm. where i'm like visually it's all one thing and then at the end can i would it influence a feeling in your heart or in your, in your body? Like, you know, and 
for, I mean, for me and the people I've, I've showed it to, it's like, when you get to that shop, there's something that's in, and the, and the, the cat was just there in the door. It was magic. Like the cats mm-hmm. in the doorway and you know, it was crazy. And he's playing the guitar and then it pans and tilts up right into their family portrait that is of, of them 20 years ago, you know? And it's just like, I don't know. I, it just, it all came together for me. Um, and out of all the shorts I've done, that's the one that's been seen the most by people. Like it, it got featured a bunch of places. It played at San Francisco airport, like on a giant screen for like three months. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. And I'm yeah. deeply proud of that one. Yeah. And was this ever, was it always a documentary in your head? Uh, was, did you ever consider doing something similar to Buffalo or your other shorts where you're kind of combining real life aspects or even a fish food? Yeah. When I was, when I was kind of, after he had told me the story, I, I just kept thinking about it. Um, and part of me, the initial concept was I'm going to revisit all these real fields that he's talking about with him now as an older man saying it live to the camera. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no clue how visually how that looks or whatever. But the more I got into that, the more I was like, no, I just like kind of hearing his voice, you know, cause he has a great voice mm-hmm. and then revealing him at the end. I feel like that's the move. Um, and then it never, once I locked in on that, I just, I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. You know? Yeah. And was, uh, is it something like documentary is still something you're interested in, or is it just kind of like you have it as a tool, uh, or you feel more comfortable using it now kind of moving forward after having accomplished yeah, this I, mean, I think there's definitely, there's definitely something there that I, I mean, even if it is narrative that I bring to every project I do. Um, and I think part of that is just understanding the environment you're in. Like if there's something improvisational and it kind of goes back to those early days of just having fun with a camera but now that the crews are bigger and it's like people are it's actually a job and like people are here working Mm -hmm. i think it's if it's your it's your job as a filmmaker to still have that i love that you brought it up that like childlike quality of improvisational of that documentary vibe where it's just like yes we're here and this is this happens to this day where it's like yes we're here we're locked in on that. That's what we've planned for. But now that I'm here and I look over there, that's really exciting and interesting. And I think we need to deviate and to have that confidence to be able to lead a crew into doing that, into deviating into that thing that wasn't planned for is going to come from you. Like they're going to follow you if they see that it, it, you're genuine about it and you know, you know what you're talking about. And I think that comes from experience, you know, that comes from, just getting out and doing it time and time again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this has been so great uh, going through all these shorts. I really appreciate it. I'm curious if there's something you would want to, like if you could go back to your, as you're just starting out into film, like, is there anything that you're like very specifically happy that you did do uh, something that you would like advise your younger self to think of more? I, I, I know we've covered a lot of things that you've learned over this time, but uh, like if there's like something you kind of boil down to uh, what you would want to share with your younger film self, what would that be? Yeah, I feel like this is something I've thought about. And I I, I mean, I touched upon it a little bit, but um, just to just to tune in more, you know, mm-hmm. and to stop stop feeling like there's somewhere you need to be because where you are is is where it's happening. Um, I yeah, I mean. It is tough when you, I, there's a lot of people I look up to who 
you know, they did this at this age and they did this at that age and um, none of it matters. None of it matters at all. What matters is the work. What matters is the story you're telling. I'm grateful that um, I feel like out of all these short films, they all are a reflection of where I was at that time. Like I truly feel like I could talk about each one of them and remember exactly where I was. So I'm proud of that. Um, I think the thing I would have kind of talked myself off the ledge of is just thinking that, you know, that you need to do something by a certain age because you don't. And uh, especially now that I've gotten older and I see there's all these other filmmakers who I love and admire. And you look back at some of their earlier work and, you know, I'm discovering first features that I didn't even know existed, you know, and like enjoying discovering that and age is just the number. None of it matters, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really great advice. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for getting into all these. Uh, thank you for your time and uh, sharing your thoughts on all these films. Thanks. Thanks for watching them and bringing some life to them. Yeah. Yeah.